love is in the air. Oh, guys. look it's at that. It's so close to Valentine's Day. It, it is, is Valentine's Day. Day. Holy cow. Yeah. Happy Valentine's Day, guys. I brought you guys candy. Thank you. Thank you. you well, I brought you nothing. I'm, That's okay. I apologize. Just being in your presence, Katie, is enough for me. Oh, is that present <laughs> enough? For, for both of you, yes. I was going to say, just you, Katie. <laughs> no, both of you. Both um, of my girls are here with me on Valentine's Yay. Day. Aww. And thank you so much for our, for the candy. Um, You're welcome. I'm not going to open it and eat it on my microphone like I did the jelly beans last yeah, week. Let's not you, do that. Yeah, That's you, gross. You pissed everybody off. We got so much hate mail <laughs> about you eating the jelly beans on the air. I tell you yeah. what, though. I love an assorted chocolate box. Oh, is oh, that what those are? every time. I don't even look and see what it is. I just let it surprise oh, me. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's good. I like to take like a bite out of all of them. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Shane will come behind me and, and find, like, because I always buy one around this time of mm-hmm. year. And he'd be like... Well, I guess Katie's been in this, and I'm like, it's it's my chocolate. I bought it do for what I me. Want. I will do what I want with it. Yes. I can take a bite out of every single one of them if yeah. I want to. Yeah, yeah. that's sure. what we do. <laughs> so my name is Ke- uh, Kelly Turner. <laughs> what is it? Check your driver's license. <laughs> Kelly Turner, and I'm not a doctor. Thank goodness. Scott Wright, mediocre journalist. <laughs> Katie Gibbons, not a lawyer. So speaking um, of surprises, yeah. oh, one more oh, surprise for you guys. What? I got you Valentine's Day cards. That's so and great. They are to be read on the air. Uh, Katie, uh, you go first. There's literally um, a heart drawn after my name. Yeah, don't open yours until she. Not returns. after mine, okay. though. Oh, that's nope. okay. <laughs> I didn't think of it. I did yours first, and then I thought, oh, a heart would be nice. All right, let's see. It says, "It's amazing how young you look." Oh. Especially given what I know about your 20s. <laughs> uh, Katie okay. just turned 30 recently. <laughs> oh, uh, that is not technically a Valentine's Day card. No, but no, it is I'm pink. Scared. Yeah, it was, that's why I got and it. And it's got it like pink. a girl on the front with like a... Yeah. She's got a she's got bangs and... Uh, <laughs> yeah, which is totally out. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're Taylor Swift. Uh, the, uh, she's go. rocking yeah. the bangs. Okay, so uh, is it my turn now? Yes, I'm a little scared. it is your turn. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't find ah! I, I couldn't okay. find the Valentine's okay. Day card that I liked. So there is this. <laughs> Kevin is judged. There is this angry cat with yeah. a party hat. It's a birthday card. I had to cross and it, out. It's scowling at me. Yes. And it literally says Kevin, which mm-hmm. is my husband's name. Kevin right. is judging your and Scott has marked out birthday and put Valentine's Day choices with a sharpie. <laughs> And then it says, choose wisely. Mm. <laughs> that is funny. That, thank you. That's It looks perfect. like your husband. <laughs> he always has that scowl oh, on his face. Oh my goodness. He does have a little bit of a resting scowl yeah. face. He and I recently spent time together uh, around the barbecue grill. We, uh, we were mm-hmm. cooking for an outdoor event recently and I was his uh, sous chef. Oh. And Fucker just barked orders at me for like two hours. How do you do it? <laughs> I'm a I'm a saint. Turn around, pick that up, put that there. <laughs> Don't drop this. Yeah. I just wanted to start dropping things just to piss him off. I've oh, been telling I'm everybody I'm a saint. Uh, now now you know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He's um extra scowling at times with the surgery, but he is getting better every yeah. day. Just recently had some pretty invasive Oof. back surgery. So Ugh, that's sorry. why you were having to do everything. Oh you, yeah, he reminded he me. He can't bend, he can't lift, he that's, can't twist. That was the last phrase in every sentence. Here, do this because I can't bend over. Here, do this because I can't spin around. 
everything. <laughs> what a treat. Oh, that's funny. Oh, perfect, perfect card there. I love that. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Scott. You're welcome. Um, so this is the post- Murder mystery episode. That's right. The murder what mystery. What a fantastic event. Theater Center knocked it out of the park. Were you surprised? Did shocked. You, did you figure it out? No. I didn't either. Yeah. I was totally shocked. So much fun. Uh, your son was in it. Did he, a great job. Yes, yes. Everybody did a great job. Mm-hmm. Yes. We, we Wonderful uh, cast. Dressed yeah. him as a, as a young Steve Jobs. Yeah. And the person who uh, played the part of the dead body. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Nailed so it. So realistic. <laughs> what a fun time we enjoyed it and we look forward to future collaborations with uh easy street and theater center so that was a lot of fun thanks guys you did a fantastic job kudos to all of you the directors were stephanie west and Jeannie hatmaker that those names should both be familiar to you but Mm -hmm. Jeannie was on the show Mm -hmm. for our episode when we discussed what uh, was that it was John, uh, John Bonet. Oh, yeah. That's mm-hmm. right. And shout out to one of our sponsors, uh, the Chamber of Commerce, because they have loaned the theater some of those mm-hmm. um, partition walls. Yeah. So yeah. they were able to, to... create a backstage area. Yes. yes. So it's really, yeah. really nice. neat space that they were able to do yep. in conjunction with the Chamber. The Chamber help. is always so supportive. Mm-hmm. Of, always. Yeah, of the community. So They love their true kudos. crime podcasts as I well. Know. Thanks, guys. So kudos, kudos to everybody that was involved. You did a spectacular time. I was wildly entertained. Yeah. My dinner was great. All right. Don't beat it to death. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Scott. We'll we'll explain why that's funny later. Too much joy for you. Is that that too much? Ratchet it down a notch. (laughs) You guys seen any movies lately? Um, hmm. Didn't you tell me that you just saw Argyle? Oh, yeah. I went to the movies and saw Argyle. And you liked it? I thought it was entertaining. Yeah. yeah it's well, that's confusing. all you're shooting for. Quite confusing. Oh, is it like a mystery? Times. It's just a lot of twists and turns. It's a spy movie. Oh, So, okay. you know, there's a lot I want to see it. Isn't uh, uh, Sam fun. Rockwell is in it? Yeah. I love Sam yeah, Rockwell. He's, he's hilarious. He's great. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh... <sighs> Ron Howard's daughter. Yes, thank you, yeah. Bryce. Bryce. Bryce Dallas Howard. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Looks, it looks good. I've seen the commercial. I've seen the trailer. So it, it looks like something that I would enjoy. Yes. So uh, Ron Howard, uh, she favors him. Mm-hmm. Well, the red hair, and she's really pretty. So yeah, she, she is. He makes Very a really pretty, pretty daughter. Yep. <laughs> um, I saw recently on. Uh, I watched it at home on streaming. The last Indiana Jones movie, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. I liked it. Jake Graves hated it. He hates everything. I'm yeah, not an I Indiana Jones gal. Oh, I love Ooh. it. Um, I love them all. A lot of running. I... Temple of Doom, eh. And the last one with Shia LaBeouf. Okay, so now I liked that one. Uh, I was yeah. very entertained by that one. Yeah, they killed him off. Had a, had He's a... not in the last one. Spoiler alert, yeah. everybody. Well, Shane <laughs> tried to make me watch them, and he wanted to start at the beginning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that movie was made in like the 70s. It was 1981. Okay, I don't. <laughs> Which I should have mentioned last week when we talked about Ronald Reagan's assassination. That was one of the biggest movies of 1981. I remember seeing it at the theater here in Center Alabama when we still had a theater in Center Alabama. Mm-hmm. Well, you dropped the ball on that one last week. Whoopsie. So, sorry, your well, fault. Better late than never. Yeah, I don't love an old movie. Like it was 
Oh, it was painful to me. <laughs> I'll it tell pains you me that you consider that movie too old to freaking watch. I love uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're not talking about Casablanca or the jazz singer. No. So no. but Harrison well, Ford Casablanca, was kind of nice to see back in the day. But Still like is. he's just like present day. He's just like running and then you can like hear the sound effects being the button being. That pushed, is not true. Like. Steven Spielberg directed Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's nuts. <laughs> okay, so I've got to I've Here's a good a good point, Scott. I don't know uh, if you watch Big Bang Theory, but um, so Sheldon's um, girlfriend, Amy Farrah Fowler, he gets mm-hmm. her to watch Raiders of the Lost Ark, and okay. she says, "Inanna Jones was completely pointless in the movie because had he not been there, mm-hmm. the folks would have gotten the Ark, opened it, and all of them would have died anyway." That's hilarious. He had nothing to do with any of that. It's and hard to argue that point. And the whole episode is about how I she just that. ruined uh, one of his favorite movies. Well, but now you've done me, the same for me. Tell me she's wrong. No, she's right. I mean, But what? you don't know it until the end. That he's pointless? That yeah. Indiana is... He's pretty to look at. Let's is just, his name... Let's just say what it is. Is his name Indiana in the like, Well, you'll have they, to watch. It, hang on. Oh, okay, You've got sorry. to watch Indiana sorry. Jones in the Last Crusade to have that explained actually, to you by no Sean worries. Connery, his I, father. I'm not gonna watch no. it. No so actually, that one, The Last Crusade, is probably my favorite. Yeah. That's of I, all of them. I, I would have to say that it is the best one. Sean uh, Connery, Raiders of the Lost Ark is right there. Yeah. Sean Connery plays his father. Mm-hmm. Indiana is very uh useful to the storyline in yes. that one. <laughs> Um, and okay, I'll just go ahead and spoil it for Katie since she's not going to watch it anyway. Yeah. No, my uh, two watch list is gro- is ever growing. I can't add more to Indiana it. Indiana was the dog's name. Oh. He is. He's named after his dog? Yeah. Indiana Jones, is, his real name is Henry Jones Jr. because his father, Sean Connery, okay. calls him Jr. throughout the movie and he yeah. hates that. Yep. He picked up the name Indiana from the family dog. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Spoiled that one. The thing that I liked most, I think, about the, the last movie, The Dial of Destiny, uh, you guys familiar with the uh, British actress Phoebe Waller-Bridge? No. I mean, I've she seen her is, in that movie. First of all, she's gorgeous. Second of all, she's got a British accent. And third of all, she's freaking hilarious. <laughs> she's so funny. She's in this show called Fleabag that I think was a British sitcom. Mm. And she was the writer and producer of Killing Eve, which surely you guys have seen. I yeah. haven't, but I know oh I know it. And I've always meant to watch it, but never even heard of it. It is very witty. And now that I know that Phoebe Waller-Bridge was the writer, I understand why. Oh, got she it. She is just a joy to watch. I'm going to H- go back and watch Fleabag. HBO, so I, wasn't it? Killing uh, Eve? No, it was, uh, it was uh, AMC, I think, originally. I think you can watch it on Hulu now. Mm-hmm. I think originally it was I, I didn't love AMC. Dial of Destiny. I just didn't love you it. You did see it? I did see okay. it, but I didn't love it. I liked it. it. Mm. I liked the end. I liked the when they went back in time. Yeah. I'm not going mean, to spoil it. Yeah. I really I, wanted that know. thing to work, and it did. <laughs> yeah. The Dial of Destiny. I wanted it to work. How yeah. many of these movies are there? Uh, There's five. Uh, five now. Yeah. And the last one. That was the last Which one. Which is like Maybe two, two wa- less than the pirate movies. How many pirate movies are there mm, now? I don't know. A I lot. Will, I will watch those. Maybe they'll keep they it going them. with Phoebe Waller-Bridge, because I could watch her in anything. She's just so funny. She's like Kristen Bell funny. I don't know that she can replace Indiana Jones. I don't know. She's pretty, I mean, she does a lot of action. Mm-hmm. She, she, she punched several people. Mm-hmm. Like one guy out I love, cold. I tell you what I love. I love the fact that Harrison Ford, he always plays this like old curmudgeon, even like when he was younger. Yeah. He has mm-hmm. this like grumpy disposition. Have you seen him on That is shrinking? actually him. Yeah. He's actually this grumpy old curmudgeon. Yeah. 
and I love it. There's it's a, hilarious. There's a it, show was on, that the KT lore then? Maybe it is. <laughs> maybe we have, <laughs> maybe we figured me out. There's a show on Apple TV called Shrinking which stars Jason Siegel and it is uh, the name comes from the fact that he is a psychiatrist. Okay. So he's a shrink. Who is? Uh, Jason Siegel oh. and Harrison Ford is oh, they, they share an office mm. and he Harrison Ford nails the it, the the curmudgeon watch, watch, as usual. Watch some of his interviews. Yeah. Uh, the the person who talks about the the new movie and that he's has his shirt off and they just they basically ins- I mean they do insult him because they're like I can't believe that oh yeah you know you're yeah when you first age see him you are and and you're still built like that and yeah. he just deadpan look like he's like I guess I'm just blessed yeah but it but his face is like, <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic um oh. I have a shout out okay Stephanie Dunn okay. D-U-N-N. Uh, she lives right here in Cherokee County in mine and uh, Katie's hometown of Cedar Bluff, actually. Okay. Hello, Stephanie. She reached out last week on Facebook, and uh, we encourage all of you out there to do the same if you have not already, and we will shout you out on the show. Great. But Stephanie said that our last episode, or one of our last episodes, the one about uh, Maura Murray. Murray. Murray was the first one that she had listened to. Katie was in the big chair for that mm-hmm. one. Uh, and she said she has uh, fallen in love with the show. She's going to listen to them all. And then our other show friend, Randy West, mm-hmm. she jumped in and commented on Stephanie's comment and said, you've got to go back and listen to every single one of them. And we're up to like 146 episodes now. So uh, Stephanie gets started. It's going to take a minute. <laughs> yeah. Buckle up. Like, if you have uh, a long trip. Yeah, buckle up. Uh, just turn us on. A really long on. trip. Yeah. And I mean, it's uh, how many hours in a week? 168. So most of a solid week mm-hmm. if she listens to everything. We can we can be there with you the whole time. Yeah. Here we are. Um, speaking of ourselves, mm-hmm. we just covered a presidential assassination attempt last week. Yes. And we previously discussed the Kennedy assassination mm-hmm. on the show. Uh, and I found out last week that there is a new Netflix series coming soon. And it is going to tell the story of the assassination of President James Garfield in July, uh, which occurred in July of 1881. The new show is going to star, you guys watch uh, Succession? Yes. Matthew McFadden. I don't know which one that is. He uh, plays uh, the, 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 the daughter's husband. Oh, yeah. He's hilarious. He's like a, does he remind you of Kevin Spacey sometimes? A little bit, yeah. Like if you told me he was Kevin Spacey's brother. Yeah. I would buy it. Yeah. And he's actually British. Yeah. He um, is. And he's going to star in twist. this. <laughs> yeah. He's going to star in this uh, new series on Netflix. It doesn't have a title yet. I think it's actually, it's called, uh, uh, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Shannon, who played General Zod in the recent Justice League films and the Man of Steel, the the J.J. Abrams version of the superheroes, uh, he's going to be in it. So it sounds really good. And, and I do want us to do the Garfield assassination at some point. At some point. Um. Oh, I didn't like the way she said that. <laughs> <laughs> that's the mother, maybe. Yeah, that's exactly what, you know that, what that yeah, means. Yeah, it okay, means yeah. no. <laughs> I know what that means. <laughs> anyway, but that's a possible future episode. And today yes. is today. Today's Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day one last time to everyone yes. out there. Yes, yes. And you know what? It doesn't matter if you have a Valentine or not. You are our Valentine. Yeah. Darn it. Speaking of. We love you. Our story today took place on Valentine's Day. Mm, I wonder what that Quite is. Quite a few years ago. <laughs> wonder what that and is. If you're already listening, then you have already read the title of the episode. So you know. And you're not surprised at all. it's the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you guys ready? Ready when ready. you are. Yep. Okay. Uh, before we get into the show, there's a. I wanted to tell some things that happened on February the 14th throughout history. Okay. In 1849, President James Polk became the very first sitting chief executive to have his photograph taken. Intr- on Valentine's Day? Yes. Wow. In 1876, Alexander Graham Bell and a fellow named Alicia Gray both applied for a patent for the telephone. And I'm assuming Mr. Bell won that argument because yeah. I've never heard of the other guy. Yeah. No. Uh, in fact, uh, I did a little research and it turns out that Bell probably did steal the idea <sighs> from Alicia Gray, but Bell had a history of, of doing that. Yeah. yeah. No, that was Edison. Edison was always stealing everybody's ideas, right? Mm. I don't know. Maybe this was supposed to be Thomas Edison. Screw it. Look it up for yourself. Just Google it. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> I was. Oh. I put this together in a rush. Yeah. Uh, maybe this one's correct. On this day in 1912, Arizona became the 48th state, which gives us the map of the contiguous 48 states that we know today. Yes. Okay. Before then, it was not. Uh, what was it? It was a territory oh, until it okay. officially became a state. And then we added Alaska and Hawaii in 1959. Okay. To get to 50. On February the 14th, 1939... Speaking of uh, Indiana Jones, Nazi Germany mm. launched their massive World War II battleship Bismarck, mm. uh, which was completed a couple of months later and, sh- and went off to fight the war in the Atlantic. Uh, that construction project turned out to be an awful lot of wasted effort, though, because uh, the British very quickly sank it. Actually, they uh, damaged it to the point where it just went in a circle. And so the Germans <laughs> purposely sank it to keep the British from getting it. Okay. On this date in 1990, the Voyager 1 space probe turned its camera back towards Earth and took a picture from a distance of 3.7 billion miles or so. Uh, And space nerds like myself know that that photo is called the pale blue dot. I am, I get, uh, my palms are sweating right now. Anything about space or... Oh yeah? You don't like it? uh, It's too high up. Got it. and And then you get up there and it's like, yeah, I don't like space I'm, I'm, either. I'm really, am I high or not? Because I think you're high you've right taken now. Taking away all you of my like sense it. of uh, the ground, and there is no ground, and I don't know. You've never even I been hate. into space. No, this is just no. a thought experiment. You're worrying. I've seen. You're worrying I, yourself for nothing. I've been to Huntsville, and I have still gone on to the uh, gone to the whatever that thing is where they show you all the videos, and you you feel like you're there. The theater. No, it's one of those. It's IMAX. an IMAX theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't like uh, movies or anything where like someone gets kicked out into space. No, and no. I don't like it. Can't do it. I don't. I don't like. You guys are a couple of fucking Debbie Downers. <laughs> now look, I mm. I will watch Star Wars or like uh, Guardians of the Galaxy or something like that, but where they can like where where space isn't scary seeming because yeah. they like live out there. It's like they live there. And it's nothing to them. But these movies about NASA, I can't watch them. Mm-mm. Can't watch them. This is disgusting. I want my gifts back. <laughs> Would you go into space if given the opportunity? Yes. No, Holy not me. moly. Absolutely. And live in a tiny little closed in area. Forever, but for a week, and sure. And not know, like you're standing straight up, but your hair's way up here. 
because you're actually, there's no gravity, or are you upside down and don't know it? I keep this close cropped haircut just in case the opportunity ever presents itself. I won't have to worry about, I don't want to say, wait a minute, I got to go get a haircut first. Nope. If Bezos calls and is like, you want to ride? I'm like, absolutely not. How do you pee in space? Into a tube that you attach to your area. You want me to tell you how to go number two in space? No, because I've I, read it. I don't want to. Why you don't want to have you read it? Because if you read about the space it's program. It's a diaper. Don't you have a diaper on? Uh, no, it's it's a bag. Oh. Is it attached to you? It's got tape on it. Oh. You peel off the double-sided tape and attach it to your posterior, mm-hmm. do your business, and then you close the bag. And on the outside of the bag is a, is a, is a wipe, like a, you know, like a wet wipe. Great. And then you put all of that into the bag and then you store the bag in a compartment. Great. And then some guy has to dump that compartment when you get back. So they don't put anything out into space. So we don't litter space. Oh, sure. We litter space. Yeah. The urine dump is something that takes place. Like at some point before the uh, spaceship comes back to earth, they will uh, hit a button and it will eject all of the urine that has been collected out into space. So much for that fresh rainwater thought yeah. here on Earth. Wow. Wow. That water doesn't make it back to Earth. <laughs> How do you know? Because it burns up in the atmosphere. It would burn up in the atmosphere. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it, I don't I don't like space. So Good you're just God. you're peeing into the sun. You guys not, are just you guys are making me want to do an entire episode <laughs> about the space program. Maybe no. we can do Apollo thirteen. No. That's not exactly a crime. Mm. Mm. Okay. No, until no. someone no, no, gets no. murdered in space, I think we'll stay out of yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> All right. There seems like there's an Elon Musk joke there, but I can't figure out how to put it together. Uh, no. All right, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> that was a tangent, sorry. Yeah. Three significant birthdays on February the 14th. Okay. As far as I'm concerned, anyway. Uh, in 1859, a fellow named George Washington Gale Ferris was born in Illinois. You guys know who he is? No. Have you ever ridden a Ferris wheel? I yes. have. Don't like those. That I don't high. care for that either. Too high. Uh, Ferris first introduced his uh, invention at the 1893 Columbian Exposition in Chicago, an event which figured prominently in our two-part series from April of 2022 about mass murderer H.H. H. Holmes. Yes. That's uh, season two, episodes 15 and 16. In 1913, a guy was born on February the 14th, whom we have talked about several times on this show, but have yet to do an episode about, and I'm going to keep lobbying until we do, Jimmy Hoffa. Oh, okay. Was born on uh, February the 14th, 1913. Mm -hmm. Uh, So a possible future episode in our Mafia in America series, maybe. Maybe. And finally, on this date in 1948, Raymond Joseph Teller was born. Uh, you guys familiar with the two-man comedy team known as Penn and Teller? Yeah. He's the short guy who never says anything. Okay. All right. And he is uh, 48. He's 76 years old. Wow. Is that right? I don't know. I, yeah. I don't do math. Yeah, 76. He's 76 uh, today. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Tella. That's all the fluff I have. Well, you oh. guys, actually, I was worried about having too much fluff, and you guys fluffed it up a lot. Well, is there? Do you remember when Katie walked us through all the different holidays and how violent they are? Yes. What did we say about Valentine's Day? It's I not. Don't, I don't it, think it' not notable as as a violent holiday. Yeah, you okay. would think you know unrequited lovers might be <laughs> might pick this day to do that, but I guess not. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, Except this particular Valentine's Day you're going to talk about was extremely violent. Yes. Much, much violence. Okay. And I couldn't, much I couldn't figure out how to do this episode. So I was sitting at work the other day and I was telling a uh, number one friend of the show, my coworker, Denny Peak. Hello, Denny. Yeah. Hi, Denny. Happy Valentine's Day. I was telling her that I could not figure out uh, which way to approach this story from. I was really struggling with it because I work on it a lot at work when I'm supposed to be doing other things. Mm-hmm. Um, so if this show sucks today, it's her fault. Okay. Sorry, well, Denny. No, it's not Denny's yeah. fault. No, we're Here's what happened. <laughs> Just a couple of days ago, like I said, I was complaining. I couldn't figure out how to tell the story of the St. Valentine's Day massacre. And Denny said, well, why don't you just do it the way that you did the book that you wrote about the football team? So back in 2010, just quickly, I wrote a book about a local football team here mm-hmm. that won the state championship. Mm-hmm. And anybody who picked up that book to read it knew when they did so how the book ended. Mm-hmm. They went 15-0. and 0. They won every game. They won the whole thing. How do you make that interesting? Well, what I did was when I finished writing it, I took the last chapter and I moved it to the front of the book. There you go. So I just got the ending out of the way. Literally, the title of the first chapter is The End. There you go. You do love this trope. Yep. Yeah. Have I told this before? No. You just like to tell the end first a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I couldn't keep a surprise. I, I was going to wait till the end of the show and give you guys the Valentine's Day gifts, and I just, I can't contain it. <laughs> All right. Well, so, yeah, we're going to assume there was a lot of uh, death on- Well, the title of the, the show has the word massacre in it. Yeah. So, so let's, uh, yeah, let's just get that out of the way and go. I yeah. agree with Denny. Yeah. All right. So there's a lot of moving parts in this uh, story. A lot of names. We're going to skip most of the names. You guys know I like to leave out as many names as possible. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to rattle off the people who died and we're, we're not going to go there. What, the victims? Yeah. We're not going to go there. <laughs> we're not even going to name the victims They don't today. matter. Uh, oh. I mean, I didn't say that right. Holy no. cow. Uh, but we're not going to make our listeners drink from a fire hose of information. That's not what we program here. Well, how many deaths are there? Seven. Uh, okay. Yeah. Trust right. me. I, I'm good. All You'll right. just have to trust me. I'm on this crazy carousel. We never trust you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks anyway, Denny. Here goes. This is the story, our version, my version of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Let's be clear. Scott's Scott's version. version. Yeah. Uh, And like we said, it begins at the end. So here's the end. Oh, that may be the title actually of the show. Scott's version. (laughs) It was at 1030 a.m. On St. Valentine's Day of 1929 in Chicago that seven men, either members of what was known as the Northside Gang or their associates, were gathered inside the SMC Cartage Warehouse on North Clark Street. Uh, and just to help our uh, listeners visualize what happened next, I have borrowed some descriptive words and phrases from a 2011 book titled Get Capone, The Secret Plot That Captured America's Most Wanted Gangster. So this is their description, that book's description of what happened in the SMC Cartage Warehouse. The morning, that morning in Chicago, the skies were gray and overcast. Uh, the streets and sidewalks were covered with a light snow that had powdered the city the night before. Bakers and candy merchants had opened early that morning to prepare for what was expected to be a last-minute rush of Valentine's Day shoppers. The temperature outside was 18 degrees. Inside the unheated warehouse, there's a garage and a warehouse, kind of both together. Uh, the temperature was not much warmer. Only a single 200-watt light bulb hung from the ceiling. The interior of the place was mostly dark and cold. It was a place that was built for vehicles to be stored. It wasn't built for people. 
there was one small table in the corner with a coffee pot and a couple of chairs. Uh, the Bugs Moran gang used the warehouse for storage. They stored their trucks there and their Ill- illegal booze there. It was not a hangout. The men were there that morning for a meeting. It was 1030, like we said, when two police officers, or at least two men dressed as police officers, and two other guys walked into the door near where uh, Bugs Moran's men were milling about trying to stay warm by the coffee pot. The intruders raised their weapons, two machine guns and two shotguns, and ordered Moran's men away from the doors and windows. They lined them up along a brick wall, shoulder to shoulder, facing the wall, hands on the wall. Suddenly, a blast of bullets from the weapons ripped through the air and into the backs of the seven men standing on the wall. Bodies fell like bowling pins. Blood as dark as motor oil surged across the concrete floor and slid thickly down a drain. Some of the men died instantly. Some gasped, uh, gasped briefly for air. The identities of the shooters remain unknown to this day. What is known about the St. Valentine's Day Massacre is that the murders likely resulted from competition for control of organized crime in the city of Chicago during the time of prohibition. Mm. More to come on that. The struggle was between the aforementioned Northside Gang, that was Bugs Moran's men, and the outfit, as it was called, and that was Al Capone's group of mobsters. History largely agrees that the shooters were four men, as we mentioned, using the weapons, uh, weapons that included a pair of Thompson submachine guns. It was, uh, at the time, a revolutionary weapon. Uh, it had been invented by a brigadier general in the U.S. Army for use in World War II, and by the 1920s, you could get one anywhere. And they were quickly, the Thompson machine gun was becoming the weapon of choice, not only for the police, but also for gangsters. We were fighting it out in the streets for control of the illegal liquor trade. Two of the shooters were described later by witnesses as being dressed in suits, ties, overcoats, and hats, uh, as comedian John Mulaney would say, Katie, like they were going to church in Atlanta. (laughs) The other two shooters were dressed as police officers. After the lead stopped flying, witnesses across the street who had looked out of their windows when they heard the shots saw two officers leading two men with raised hands into a car that looked like a police car. It was hard to tell back then. And they drove away. A Cadillac. But cops used Cadillacs and every car was black back then. But did Henry Ford say you can get a Model A in any color you want? As long as, long as, as it's black. black. Yeah. Uh, when the actual Chicago police showed up a few minutes later, they found one of the victims still alive, though only barely, because he now had 14 more holes in his body than when he had entered the garage a few minutes earlier. Good Lord, it's like Swiss cheese. Yeah. Uh, That victim died three hours later in the hospital, having refused to give up the names of any of the shooters before he lost consciousness, because back then in the 20s, Omerta was still a thing. Remember, we've talked about Omerta, the code of silence that the mobsters adhered to. They did not rat each other out. I can't imagine on my deathbed... I guess, was he trying to protect his family or would they go? It was just, I think it was the code. Just, just, you didn't do it. They they got me. Wow. I bet they would go after your family though. Maybe so. Hmm. Yeah. Huge block lettered headlines screamed across the top of every afternoon newspaper in the city of Chicago. All over the country, the bloodletting made front page news. The black and white photos that accompanied the stories 
showed a tangle of bodies in pools of blood at the time the most graphic to ever appear in an American newspaper. In one image, a victim's brain was clearly visible, lying in a lump beside his head. Wow. It turned out that the shooting had been an organized attempt to wipe out Bugs Moran himself, the leader of the Northside gang. Uh, And the only reason he was not dead when the shooting stopped was that he had been running late that morning, saw the police car parked out in front of the garage and ducked into a nearby coffee shop where he could watch what was going on because he was confused about why the cops were supposed to be at this meeting or were at this meeting because they weren't supposed to be. Mm. As in his pocket, as many policemen were back then, Moran knew that he had not invited any of them, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. they weren't supposed to be there. And that saved his life that day because he was the target of the hit. Al Capone was widely considered to be responsible for the massacre, but attempts to implicate him in the crime were complicated considerably by the fact that he was in Florida at the time of the shooting. In fact, just two days after the St. Valentine's Day massacre, Capone had a huge party at his mansion in Miami. A little ill-timed, perhaps. Uh, In fact, with no hint of irony whatsoever, at one point during the party, Capone climbed out of his swimming pool and sat for an interview with a reporter and complained that he did not like publicity. Which is very ironic because he was the most famous, well-known gangster in the world because he loved to be interviewed by reporters. Oh, so he... At any chance, any opportunity. So everything that came out of his mouth truly was a lie. Yes. Uh, It turned out the Northside gang had recently hijacked a load of illegal whiskey that Capone's guys were sneaking into the city from Canada down the Detroit River. And also Moran had been muscling in on Capone's territory over the previous few months. Capone's operation, the outfit, was much bigger than Moran's outfit up on the north side of Chicago. And, And Moran was trying to muscle in. He wanted more territory for himself. In addition to trying to steal Capone's liquor, Moran was also uh, trying to control a dog track that Capone ran out in the suburbs of Chicago. And he had taken over forcefully several saloons and speakeasies that were run and supplied with booze by Capone. So the St. Valentine's Day massacre was Capone's solution to this persistent problem. At least that's one of the theories. It was his way of buzzing away, uh, swatting away the fly that was buzzing in his face. Moran. Moran was the was Pepsi, Capone was Coca Cola. Okay, at the yeah, time that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, the plan that morning had been to lure Moran and a couple of his senior lieutenants to the SMC Cartage warehouse and kill them, uh, thereby eliminating the challenge from Pepsi, so to speak. Uh, either you get that '80s TV commercial reference or you don't. I'm moving on. You get it? No. Okay, I'm moving on. <laughs> it was assumed it was a TV thing. You did the Pepsi challenge and people picked Pepsi instead of Coke. Ah, screw it. Oh, I do remember the Pepsi yeah. challenge. Yeah, that's it. I, I remember Early people, 80s. it's a blind taste test. That's it. And a lot of, they would only show the ones where people pick Pepsi. Of course. Katie, you remember that? <laughs> Never mind. I know you don't. I watched the Pepsi documentary. Do you, okay. Oh, well, yeah. Where's my about, jet or whatever? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. How about this? Yeah, they've mentioned it in that documentary. Do you guys tend to Pepsi? You like Pepsi yes. products better? No, yes. absolutely not. Like oh, Pepsi. wow. I like we Pepsi. Gotta, I'm gotta... a Pepsi guy. No? I don't... Look, I no, know I'm I, in the minority. No, I, uh, I think I'm weird because I will take a Pepsi Zero 
or I'll take a coat. I don't care. Yeah, I don't really. It doesn't I'm, bother I'm me. I'm not going to fight you about it. I'll mm-hmm. take either one. But if if they're both on the the counter if side I by side. If I have a choice between the two I'm grab and they're the in front of me, yeah. I'm going to go with the uh, Diet Dr. Pepper. No, no it, you are weird. Yeah, see, I'm a Diet Coke girl through and through, and I hate okay. a Diet Pepsi. Okay. Ooh, it's like, I, I it, like it, a Diet Pepsi. It's a, if, is Diet Pepsi okay? I'll say, yeah, water. Okay. I don't like I'll take either one. <laughs> uh, it was assumed, back to our story, that the Northsiders uh, had been lured to the location of the warehouse by the promise of a stolen load of whiskey that would be supplied to them at cut rate prices by a gang that had been working with Capone, but dis- had decided to, to double cross him. That Ooh. was the plan. So Moran is loving this idea. Mm-hmm. Among the dead that day, no names. Sorry. Uh, yeah, apologies okay. in advance. But yeah. Moran's second in command, the guy who was his brother-in-law, mm. was among the dead. Wouldn't it have just been quicker just to give the guy's name? Nope. Okay. His bookkeeper and business manager, uh, that was one person. He was also killed, as was Moran's most trusted accountant. Obviously, he had sent his senior dudes there because they're going to buy all of this liquor. So he needs his accountant and his business manager and his second in command. They're going to make sure everything goes correctly. Okay, I understand. They're all dead. Turns out we are now the Cliff Notes version and not the 101 version. That's right. Yeah. Is that is that okay? That's it's too late now. Sure, yeah. We'll fix it next time. It's your your Katie day. Katie can Scott. fix this in post production. It's your day, Scott. You're in the, the big chair. All these chairs are the same size. <laughs> except for Katie's. As if the fact that Moran was not among the dead that day was not enough bad news for Al Capone. There was a public outcry in the wake of mm. this massacre. Finally, even the tolerant citizens of Chicago, who had lived for nearly a decade. In an everly, an ever increasingly violent city, they'd had enough. Yes, and this was a city where the newspaper ran headlines almost every day that screamed about the latest gang-related hijacking, robbery, saloon raid, prostitution crackdown, street-side shootout—you name it. Every day in Chicago, mm-hmm. even in 1929, Chicago, those seven dead people in a single hail of bullets was simply too many. This is ridiculous. We're done with this. Even if they were gangsters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they no, that, that didn't matter. So if there's anything that can be considered a certainty mm-hmm. about the aftermath of the St. Valentine's Day massacre, it is that at 10.30 that morning, the clock began ticking on the fate of Al Capone. You see, Katie, the people of Chicago did care about the victims. Right. They Yes, they cared. And they probably they knew were, their names. Probably did. I feel like <laughs> this is directed at me. <laughs> But I digress. Yes, you do. That's all right. That's our favorite pastime here on this show is digressing. Uh, Within 18 months' time, Capone's time as a mobster would finally catch up with him. That's right. Okay, so that's the end of the story. Okay. We put the end at the beginning, and that's the end of the beginning. Mm -hmm. Here's the beginning of the end. Okay. Sort of. Okay. We have to fill in a few blanks now. You guys... My favorite game show of all time was Match Game with Gene Rayburn. And all of the questions were mm-hmm. included the word blank because yes, you blank. filled in the blank. Yes. We're going to fill in some blanks today. I've never heard of that Katie, show. Katie, cue the music. <laughs> and actually, it's my ringtone. My ringtone is the theme show, uh, the theme song from the, sh- from the Match Game oh. from the 70s. Oh, okay. I was about to say, I've never heard of this game show. Yeah, it's it's yeah. the best game show ever. Should I call you? I, th- I turned it off. I put it on airplane oh, mode so that okay. it, it wouldn't ring while I was call on the you air. Because that oh, usually yeah, happens. Your, your mother used to call you yes, every freaking Sunday. Well, mom's just checking. I out. know. And happy no, that's Valentine's not her Day fault. That's your fault. Yeah, that's my fault. <laughs> that's true. Okay, so let's fill in some blanks. Okay. 
One of those blanks was the complete defeat of common sense and logic that was the passage of the 18th Amendment to begin with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Prohibition sent everybody over the edge. Yes. Prohibition began on January the 17th, 1920. And as I have said before on this show, with the exception of the Vietnam War, the biggest blunder in American history was prohibition. I think there's a lot of people that would agree with you. Yeah. Um, If you still bother to read the news anymore, uh, the list of blunders in this country seems to get longer every day, but those are still my top two. Put them in either order you like. Okay. In case you have forgotten out there in podcast land, the 18th Amendment outlawed the manufacture, sale, distribution, and export of intoxicating liquors, and I'm doing air quotes that you can't see because this is a radio program. (laughs) Uh, The temperance movement that had begun in the late 1850s had taken 70 years to pay off, but it finally did. Be careful what you wish for, Carrie Nation, because now we have prohibition. The passage of prohibition was supposed to result in a significant reduction, not only in the nation's consumption of alcohol, but also in crime in general. Those who fought so hard for years to outlaw alcohol, the dries, as they came to be known, uh, were convinced that prohibition would cause crime in this country to virtually vanish overnight. What a, what a lovely thought, mm-hmm. right? Go back and listen to our first installment in the Mafia in America series if you have forgotten how that turned out. Mm. Instead, Prohibition, uh, what it actually accomplished was to create new and exciting and profitable ways to become a criminal. The wets, as they came to be known, took one look at the 18th Amendment and said, hold my beer. <laughs> and God bless them, everyone. Mm. Uh, to me, they sound like a bunch of upstanding young Americans who say, you're going to take away my freedoms. I'll show you. (laughs) Upstanding. I think that's a strong word. They they were until some jackass took away their beer. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, what prohibition really was, was a way for the federal government to punish everyday working class people for trying to do something beginning on January the 17th, 1920, that had literally been legal the day before. That is wild. The rich and famous were seldom, if ever, prosecuted for violating the 18th Amendment or the Volstead Act, which was the act that allowed for enforcement of it. Oh, never. So, and you know who else I feel sorry for uh, with this? The the police at this point. Because uh, now that's what I have. What a headache now. A lot of the police figured out a way to make some money off of well, this. Well, I'm sure they did, yeah. but that Especially in that big cities first, like Chicago. But that first day, you know, yesterday, yeah. this now I've got to go, oh, mm-hmm. now I've got to go arrest everybody yeah. that's, this is, you know, more so, work. And you've got the rich and famous that were never prosecuted. You've yeah. got hypocritical petition, uh, p- politicians and police departments yeah. all over the country figured out a way to line their pockets with money paid to them by elements of organized crime in exchange for their agreement to allow the beer and liquor to continue flowing freely. Uh, even... When Al Capone finally went to jail in 1931, even then, despite his being the most famous bootlegging criminal in the country, if not the world, Mm -hmm. and that notoriety, like we've already mentioned, was largely his own doing because Capone was someone who flaunted his feloniousness, uh, someone who would tell any reporter within earshot that he was a bootlegger and proud of it. But even then, Al Capone never spent a day in jail for violating the 18th Amendment. No, he knew he knew who to make his friends. Capone went to prison for tax evasion, yeah. but that story comes later uh, in this story. Yeah. Now, regarding organized crime, there was literally no such thing as crime that was organized mm-hmm. until Prohibition came along. Mm-hmm. We talked about that in our previous yes, episode. We did. So. And it was then, uh, that was when small-time burglars and bank robbers 
decided that they could make a much better living in a much safer and more friendly way, illegally speaking, because the people who were supposed to be stopping them from the manufacture and transportation of intoxicating liquors liked a little brandy in their morning coffee. Or maybe they uh, enjoyed a few beers with their backroom poker buddies on the weekends or liked to sling back a few shots after a hard day's work in the U.S. Senate. There was plenty of liquor still flowing in this country. One thing that prohibition was that is never mentioned, you hardly ever hear this mentioned, it was a politically correct way at the time to crack down on immigration. Oh, wow. Because minorities and immigrants were incarcerated at alarmingly steeper rates than the rich and the famous and the wealthy and the politicians. Jump ahead to the 1970s and 80s and replace the word prohibition with the phrase war on drugs Mm -hmm. and it all starts to sound familiar. Yeah, it does. Oh, God. Like Katie occasionally reminds us, the world has always been burning. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. All right, off my soapbox, back to the story. Another (laughs) of the blanks of this story that ended with the St. Valentine's Day Massacre was the battle over which bunch of hoodlums in Chicago, did I say hoodlums? You did. I tried. Uh, Which group of hoodlums was going to profit the most from the illegal uh, liquor trade? And as we explained at the beginning, or the end, or whatever, when the episode started. Sure. Yeah. uh, I should say the illegal alcohol trade and its stepchildren, and by that I mean gambling, prostitution, extortion, and many other criminal activities. I'm telling you guys that once crime got organized in this country, thanks again, Prohibition, it really got organized. Mm -hmm. Because maybe if a guy off the street was willing to drink whiskey illegally, he might also be willing to to break the law in a few other ways. Mm -hmm. Put some money on the game or the horses. Uh, The vices were all located and available in the same location. It was a way to make a lot of money. By the mid-1920s in Chicago, five years after the beginning of Prohibition, there were predominantly two major groups of criminals in the city, like we said, the Northside Gang and the much larger outfit that Capone controlled. Uh, And they were vying for the territory in the city to extort and prostitute and gamble and drink. And that was Bugs Moran and the Northside guys, Al Capone and the outfit. And notice that I do not use the word mafia. Right, we to know describe why. these people in Chicago because they we weren't Sicilian. Why. Right, we know that yes. from our previous episodes. You these are, are mobsters. Yes, you're only mafia if you were from Sicily. Yes, most of the guys in Chicago were a cross section of the country's population at the time. A lot of Italians, yes, but also Englishmen, Irishmen, Jewish people, Germans, and a lot of these were people who had not been criminals, at least not organized criminals, before the passage of the Eighteenth Amendment. Mostly, there had been either, they had been either upstanding citizens or petty thieves, maybe safe crackers, hustlers who saw a business opportunity handed to them on a silver platter and decided to take advantage. In the months leading up to the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, the battle for the streets of Chicago had boiled down to the standoff between Bugs Moran and Al Capone. We've got a few more blanks to fill in in order to complete our story today, and we will get to those right after this word from our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you in part by A&W Outdoor Services, located right here in Cherokee County, Alabama. It's almost time to tidy up the deck, clean the gutters, and spruce up the yard and landscaping around your home, lake house, or creekside cabin. And who better to do that for you than the professional crew at A&W Outdoor Services? Call 256-706-7964 
and let Alan and his crew do all the hard work for you so you can spend your time this summer enjoying your piece of Cherokee County and clean, carefree comfort. Call Alan today for a free estimate or to get on the A&W Spring Schedule before it's full. That's A&W Outdoor Services at 256-706-7964. Hey guys, do you know what time it is? Tell us. It's time to plan your best vacation ever right here in beautiful Cherokee County, Alabama. Many outdoor adventures await. You can wet a hook in beautiful Weiss Lake, swing away at Cherokee Pines Golf Club, climb to the best year-round at Cherokee Rock Village, hike the Little River Canyon National Preserve, take a days-long splash at Pirates Bay Water Park, and there's so much more. The Cherokee County Chamber of Commerce and Tourism has a full list of recommended lodging facilities, RV sites, and campgrounds, and they're all set up to suit your vacation needs, whatever they may be. So come see us from wherever you are located. And if you already live right here in Cherokee County, then plan your summer staycation with the Chamber by visiting cherokee-chamber.org. Thank you to all of our wonderful sponsors. So Scott, yep. let's fill in those blanks. All right, another blank to fill in. Actually, we've got two blanks to fill in on this one. All right. Uh, we need to give everybody a short version of the stories of Bugs Moran and Al Capone, and they are short. Okay. First, Bugs Moran. His first name was Charles, I think, or George. I should have written that down. Shit. One what? of the reasons- What? Wait, what? I think it was George Moran. Ah! His nickname was Bugs. Katie's looking it up. Uh, you might have been George, might have been Charles. It's George. It just amazes me how names are just George, not yeah. that important. Yeah. George, George Clarence Moran. Names just get everybody confused. You they just, get I mean, you confused, that's yeah, for sure. You yeah. for well, one. I, 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 there's if if a story has too many names. And that's what happened to me when I was reading one of the books that I read about the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. I read three pages uh, in the beginning of one chapter, and it was just, it was naming off everybody in the damn, all the mobsters in Chicago. And I'm like, I don't need to know this. I'll be honest. When I read a book, I don't keep up with names I a lot. skip the names. And I get, I have a friend who will read some of the same books, and she'll be talking to me about a character, and I'm like... Uh, I've always done that. I've always skipped over the names, and and I totally get that, especially when you when you get a book that has like a, a bunch of different names yeah. that are trying to build and give you this. You That's know. what the story. Um, the but book does. I have never thought that it was too much to know the perpetrator's name or the victim's names. Yeah. <laughs> no. Welcome to my world. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. So first, uh, George. Bugs Moran. One of the reasons Moran disliked Capone, other than the competition for the illegal alcohol trade, yeah. uh, was because Moran was Catholic and thought prostitution was unholy. He despised Capone for making money off the backs of, bad pun intended, sorry guys, mm. the backs of women. Well, I mean, that's, that, no, that's, that's the appropriate yeah. uh, verbiage to use because that's mm-hmm. exactly why I would say the backs of women, the knees of women, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, all of that. Uh, you're nothing but a glorified pimp, but it's very interesting to me that that's where he drew the line of all the stuff that he that he's yeah. doing. <clears throat> yeah, um, right. that's wrong. He draws got a, a line, line somewhere. There, that was and that's his. where his, and it had to do with his Catholicism. Interesting. Yeah, Moran had been in charge of the Northside Gang for a little over two years at the time of the St. Valentine's Day massacre. He had taken over after his boss mm-hmm. was killed by Capone's men. In October of 1926, so two and a half years earlier, his boss got rubbed out, mm. and he got the job. Okay. 
Regarding Al Capone, he had been in Chicago for a decade by early 1929. Capone got the mark on his left cheek that gave him the nickname Scarface even before he had ever moved to the Windy City. Uh, Once while working as a bartender in his younger days on Coney Island, he had insulted the sister of a gangster and that guy slashed him three times on the side of the face with a beer bottle. And that's how he got his scar and his nickname. Why would he insult the guy's sister? Well, he told her that she had a nice ass. And at the time, you didn't well, say things like that we, to ladies. I don't, I don't know that you still do, but no, that's inappropriate. You got to read the room before the you brother, do that. And the right? brother said, no. Yeah. I, I will thank you not to speak to my sister that way, sir. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm paraphrasing what he said. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. After moving to Chicago, Capone had made his way up the corporate ladder, so to speak. Uh, he'd taken over control of the outfit by 1925 when he was only 26 years old. This was after the previous boss of the outfit was injured in an assassination attempt and decided to retire from his life of crime. Now in charge of the outfit, Capone spent the next three plus years building alliances with local politicians and police captains, bribing and bootlegging his way to becoming the most powerful mob boss in America. Along the way, Capone fixed elections fought with the Northside gang and openly flaunted his disdain for prohibition to any newspaper reporter willing to listen. That's how he became famous. He liked to talk to newspaper reporters. Uh, Newspapers in the city actually assigned beat reporters to follow Al Capone when he was in the city. By the time the calendar read February of 1929, Capone was a bigger-than-life criminal. Known throughout the country and around the world, and Bugs Moran hated Capone with a passion for plenty of reasons. He wanted a piece of the action. It was Moran's attempts to muscle in on Capone's larger crime empire in Chicago that ultimately led to the events of February the 14th, 1929. Another blank that we can fill in is the history of the Thompson submachine gun. I mentioned it earlier. Uh, It was called the Tommy gun, and often in the Windy City, it was known as a Chicago typewriter. Oh, my. Like we already mentioned, the gun was designed for use in the trenches of World War I, but the gun had not been uh, mass-produced in time to get to the boys over in Europe fighting on the uh, Western Front. But they'd made a lot of them. And so now you could get one pretty much anywhere, especially if you were a criminal and you knew somebody who Mm. worked in stolen weapons, Mm -hmm. I guess. Because it could be obtained so easily, the Thompson submachine gun became notorious during the Prohibition era as the signature weapon of organized crime and the police, including, of course, Moran's gang and Capone's outfit. As we have already discussed and established, the Tommy gun was the weapon used to shoot down in cold blood Moran's guys on Valentine's Day. Two Tommy guns and two shotguns. There is an extensive entry in Wikipedia about the Thompson submachine gun. If you're into guns, I'm not. We're not here into guns that much. I've already gone on too much, more than I meant to. But if you like that stuff, Wikipedia can tell you everything you ever want to know about the Thompson submachine gun. The Chicago police spent months trying to pin the massacre on Capone and his associates, but every time the cops got close to convicting someone for the crime, a witness would recant his or her testimony. Yeah. Sounds about right. Probably mm-hmm. persuaded to do so oh, one way or the I'm other. Sure, yeah. At one point a few days after the shooting, the Cadillac that had been disguised as a police car and used to make the getaway from the garage on North Clark Street was found dismantled and burned to a cinder. Hmm. But a serial number from the charred engine block 
led police to a man who was a known associate of Al Capone. But that trail of evidence originally, uh, eventually ran cold. As we've said before on this podcast, knowing the facts of a case and being able to prove it in a court of law, two different things. Yes. Uh, likewise, multiple leads about the involvement of Sicilian hitmen and even members of the uh, Chicago Police Department ultimately went nowhere. Police even entertained a theory that Moran was responsible for the massacre. Maybe his second-in-command and his business partner had double-crossed him in some way, and he sent them to, to their own deaths. That's why he yeah. didn't show up. That was one theory. Awesome. We don't know. There was another lead in December of 1929 that eventually failed to pan out. And then in 1935, following a shootout with the FBI, a captured member of the Ma Barker gang claimed to have been involved in the shooting. But that ended up going nowhere. The FBI, uh, don't forget, had no jurisdiction in the case because it was a state murder case. And besides, FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover didn't give a rat's ass about the mafia. In fact, he didn't even admit that the mafia existed until the 60s. What mafia? So he didn't care anything about any of this. Ultimately, the clock ran out on Al Capone in 1931. Part of the reason the federal government switched strategies in its efforts to apprehend Capone had to do with a 1927 decision by the U.S. Supreme Court, which ruled that prosecutors were justified in charging obviously wealthy crime figures with federal income tax evasion uh, based on their luxurious lifestyles. Doesn't matter how you made the money, said the Supreme Court. You still have to report it and pay taxes on it. The key to Capone's conviction on tax charges was not his spending, but proving his income. And the most valuable evidence in that regard originated in his offer to pay a tax when he was presented with his problem. Ralph, his younger brother, and also a gangster, had been convicted of tax evasion in 1930. And Al Capone is looking to avoid the same fate, so he ordered his lawyer to uh, regularize his tax position. And although it was not done, his lawyer made crucial admissions when he uh, stated the income that Capone was willing to pay tax on. He actually admitted, the lawyer did, that Capone had made $100,000 in 1928 and 1929, and that was, he was willing to pay the tax on it. So without even investigating, the federal government was given a letter from Al Capone's lawyer that conceded his large taxable income for years in which he paid no tax. On March the 13th, 1931, Capone was charged with income tax evasion for the year 1924 by a secret grand jury. On June the 5th, Capone was indicted by a, the, a federal grand jury on 22 counts of income tax evasion. Capone initially was willing to plead guilty to 5,000 prohibition violations. But that plea bargain deal fell apart, and Capone was eventually tried and convicted solely on the tax evasion charge. Okay. Where was he sent? Ah, mm. we're getting there. Okay. Yeah. Right. Uh, five charges is what he was eventually found guilty of. That was in October of 1931, and he was sentenced to 11 years in prison. He was initially sent to the federal prison in Atlanta. But there were some charges that he got uh, favorable treatment there. And so they shipped his ass off to Alcatraz mm. in August of 1934. That? Yes, we have. Yeah. Uh, he was stabbed there while incarcerated at Alcatraz by a fellow inmate in 1936. He was kind of a, he was, he wasn't a very good prisoner 
He was kind of, uh, he, it didn't take him long to figure out that he wasn't going to get any special treatment in Alcatraz just because he was Al Capone. So he mostly just tried to keep to himself. Mm-hmm. He was finally paroled in November of 1939 and spent the last eight years of his life at his home in Miami where he passed away from the long, long-term effects of syphilis mm-hmm. at age 48 in uh, January of Gosh, 1947. Young. Mm-hmm. Tell me the age again. He was 48 years Ooh. old when he died. And I mean, from the effects of syphilis, we should have had a a treatment. He by had then. had syphilis for a really long time. I was about to say it must have been a and it had affected his brain. Yeah. Now penicillin came along in time for him to be one of the first people who was ever treated with penicillin for mm-hmm. syphilis, mm-hmm. and it stopped the infection, but the damage to his brain had already it's been done. Already done. Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, he was debilitated. There's a uh, Tom Hardy plays Capone in a film called Scarface that's about five years old, and it exclusively tells a story of. Capone's last years living in the mansion in Miami. He's having to sell off his statues and his paintings because he doesn't have any income anymore. And so he's living off of the money that he can get from selling the things he's accumulated mm-hmm. during his life of crime. And you see his deterioration. Tom Hardy does a great job in everything he does. Mm. And he, he plays a good old Al Capone. Uh, Bugs Moran left the Northside gang in the late 1930s choosing to resort to his previous criminal profession, uh, bank robbery. Penniless, by the mid-1940s, Moran spent uh, the rest of his years in and out of prison for failed bank robberies. He passed away at Leavenworth Prison in Kansas at age 63 in 1957, just a few months into a 10-year stretch for, you guessed it, bank robbery. Uh, One last item to mention as we wrap things up today. The garage at 2122 North Clark Street was torn down in 1967. The location is now an open-air parking lot for a nursing home, but the brick wall where seven of Bugs Moran's men died on February the 14th, 1929, survives to this day. Mm. Before the demolition of the garage, the bricks were purchased by a businessman from Canada. Uh, For years, they were displayed in various crime-related novelty displays around the country, many of them all numbered so that the wall could be put back together maybe one day. Uh, Many were later sold uh, individually. There were 414 bricks remaining in the collection, and they are now pieced together in their correct placement with bullet holes intact uh, at the Mob Museum in downtown Las Vegas, Nevada. Officially known as the Las Vegas Museum of Organized Crime and Law Enforcement, the Mob Museum opened in the city's old courthouse building in 2011 at a cost of $42 million. And you guys are going to remember this. The guy who was the mayor of Las Vegas at the time and was the man who was the driving force behind the creation of the Mob Museum, that was mob lawyer Oscar Goodman. And remember when we talked about the movie Casino, he played himself in that scene in the lawyer's office where Robert De Niro and Sharon Stone are getting divorced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's all I have today. <laughs> that's the end of the story. The end. <laughs> oh, so if you would like, I to spent know, all the time on the beginning, and I forgot to do an end. If you would Ta-da. like to know, yeah, the uh, the victims' names of the Saint Valentine's Google Day it. massacre. You can Google it. Yeah, yeah definitely. I can um, rattle them off if you want, but I'll get them. I'll right. get them wrong. No, let's just uh, move on from that okay. and let everybody. Do that research themselves, but another installment from Mafia. Yeah, in the America. Mafia in America series continues here or at actually, True Crime on Easy Mo- Street. Mobsters in America right. today, because yeah. 
Yeah, not no, mafia. No Sicilians. Right. Great job, Scott. Thank you Thanks. very much. Um, what else? Follow us on social media. Yeah. Facebook, Twitter. Visit our website, True Crime on easystreet.com. If you'll leave us a comment on Facebook, I promise you that we will respond to you because we love to hear from you guys. Just like Stephanie got our shout out from earlier today. Yeah. Uh, give us a holla and we'll give you a holla back. <laughs> Is that Absolutely. it? Are we done? Katie? Yes. Anything else? Nothing? Nothing. That's it. Good night, everybody. <laughs>